Welcome to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998. From the high desert and the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening or good morning as the case may be and welcome to another edition of the best and actually the largest and literally the behemoth of talk radio now. Stretching commercially from the Tahitian and Hawaiian Islands out west eastward to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands south into South America, north all the way to the pole, worldwide on the Internet, courtesy of Broadcast.com. Thank you, Broadcast.com. This is Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. Well, next hour... Uh, we are going to endeavor to do something rather interesting. Now, uh, you're going to have to bear with us because the, what we have for you is Russia's highest-ranking military defector, uh, the highest-ranking military, military defector ever to um, ever to defect. And he wrote a book called Through the Eyes of the Enemy, Stanislav Lunev, and he said, quote, Russian military intelligence does everything it can to prepare for a war that it considers inevitable. Let me be very clear about this. The GRU, Russian military intelligence, is still recruiting agents, still preparing for war with the United States as we approach the supposedly peaceful post-Cold War millennium. End quote. The peaceful uh, post-Cold War the millennium isn't so peaceful in Russia. Alexander Levitt says Russia is close to catastrophe. They're yeah, talking about a civil war, about uh, Yeltsin pushing toward pushing the country toward a civil war. The Duma has put off the um, vote on Chernomirdin. Uh, maybe there will be a compromise. Maybe not. The it seems not like not to me. Two ninety four to fifty one was the last vote to not approve Yeltsin's choice. Last time Yeltsin got three no's in a row, he had to shell the parliament building. You remember that? So that's what they're in the middle of over there right now. And of course, the country is melting down financially. So we'll talk to uh, Stanislav next hour if we can get him. They continue to look at what occurred with the Swiss Air Flight 111 tragedy. And the more I hear about this, the more I think I have my guess about what happened. It's just a guess. It was confirmed for me earlier that they were actually dumping fuel as they were in a spiral, a circle, uh, coming down from 37,000 feet. They're actually dumping fuel. And when you dump fuel, it becomes a mist. And I don't know how tight their turn was or their spiral down was. But one has to imagine that what might have happened is that the aircraft engine that I think was on fire, or at least whatever fire there was, ignited the mist of fuel that they were spiraling down through. Kind of like a fuel air bomb. And that's my guess. Um, I also base it on the fact that all they have found are little tiny pieces, biggest piece they've even found so far as like a car hood or something, something about that size. I think you get that kind of uh, a breakup, and the breakup was incredible. 
uh, just uh, by hitting the water. So there was an explosion at what altitude, I don't know. Some think they the plane sheared off part of a lighthouse. Maybe it was part of a plane that sheared off part of a lighthouse. Who knows? Anyway, they're still looking. When Alan Greenspan speaks, um, people listen. And he said the central bankers are growing more concerned about the impact of the global financial crisis on the U.S. economy. He said they're just as... This is really strange for Greenspan. He said they're just as likely to vote to cut interest rates as to raise them. He said... Now listen carefully here. This is Greenspan. Quote, it's, not, it's just not credible that the United States can remain an oasis of prosperity unaffected by a world that is experiencing greatly increased stress, end quote. That's Greenspan. President Clinton, this is my big news on Monica Lewinsky, said, I'm sorry. That's it. Said he was sorry. So that's the Lewinsky news. Here in Nevada at Nellis, about 12 aboard died in the crash of two U.S. Air Force helicopters early Friday. They were doing uh, night work and probably using night vision equipment. Uh, there's a good, good chance that could be true. All right. A 16-year-old has sent me what I think may be an accurate copy of the third secret of Fatima. I don't know. Don't hold me to that. It, I said, may be. And I'm having it posted. Keith is about to post it. I would appreciate your comments on this. On a search for the third secret of Fatima for a long time now, as you well know. And I've had many versions... Uh, many copies of, oh, I don't know, three or four versions that are circulating, and I think this one, well, you tell me, it'd be up on the website. Do you remember the STEM people? Somebody called the other night and said, this guy went in for a CAT scan of his brain, they took it, and there was no, no brain in there, and all he had was a STEM? Comes this, Carmel Valley. The president reported her neighbors are hydros. That's H-Y-D-R-O-S, hydros. People who have fish brains instead of human brains. They are telepathically communicating with the garbage man and causing damage to her property. And turned over to adult protection services. Hydros. She claimed her, her neighbors were fish brain people, and that they have been telepathically communicating with the garbage guy. And there is, uh, you know me, I can't resist a cat story, and this is a cat story and a California story. California is a wonderful place, but boy, I'll tell you, it's not the place it used to be. Talk about regulation and regulation and taxation and regulation and more regulation. That's California today. Art, for your amusement and comments, please note I had not been listening to your show 
the following had I not the following would not have occurred as I would have been peacefully asleep and blissfully unaware of the situation Sunday August 15th 2 o'clock in the morning I'm up listening to your show suddenly a disturbing noise began at my living room it was the distinct noise of my furniture being destroyed by one of my pampered house cats I rushed to the scene only to find Missy that's in quotes hard at work at the back of a good chair so I immediately took preventative measures and got a clipper and snipped the offending front claws. This, of course, provoked countermeasures, and, yes, my cat managed to sink her aged and broken half fangs to the joint of my middle finger. It bled a little bit, but soon felt fine. The following day, Sunday, I spent several hours gardening, and the wound got dirt in it. By Monday, all swollen up. Tuesday... I decide better go to the doctor, secure antibiotics, which I did. I had to fill out a form, though, which asked whose animal was it and was it vaccinated and the circumstances of how the bite occurred. I wrote that I'd been clipping her claws in response to her sharpening them on the furniture, checked the box marked vaccinated, said that she was my indoor house cat. Upon reading the form, the doctor laughed Gave me a tetanus shot, antibiotics, sent me on my way home. All was improving until the following Sunday morning at about 10.30 a.m. arrives a Santa Cruz County Animal Control Officer showing up at the front door. Since I had again been kept up by your show the previous night, I hadn't gotten dressed yet, didn't know who it was, so I didn't answer the door. When my fiancé returned from coffee, he brought in a note demanding that we call the County Animal Control Office, which we did. They demanded that our cat be quarantined for ten days following the bite. Seven days had already passed, and that we could bring her on down on the tenth day for inspection, or that we allow an officer to come and inspect her on that very day. Well, since we have six cats and the county only allows two per house, we decided to bring her in. They intended to charge us $25 for this pleasure. However, they did waive the fee, which, even if it had been charged, could not have paid for the man-hour costs to send an officer out on a Saturday morning. I think the Animal Control Office completely overreacted to a very normal reaction of a very normal cat. So I find myself asking, who's more competent? A cat with a brain the size of a small apricot? or the Santa Cruz County Animal Control Office. How would you answer that? The moral of the story is, if you come to California and your cat bites you, tell the doctor you bit yourself, then had your cat suck the wound. That way, <laughs> you'd get appropriate antibiotics without the hassle. Have a nice night, and don't let the kitty cats bite. <laughs> And I have a few more goodies for you uh, yet this evening.
Coast to Coast AM is happy to announce that our website is now optimized for mobile device users, specifically for the iPhone and Android platforms. Now you'll be able to connect to most of the offerings of the Coast website on your phone in a quick and streamlined fashion. And if you're a Coast Insider, you'll have our great subscriber features right on your phone, including the ability to listen to live programs and stream previous shows. No special app is necessary to enjoy our new mobile site. Simply visit coasttocoastam.com on your iPhone or Android browser. Streamlink, the audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM, has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price, just 15 cents a day when you sign up for one year. The package includes podcasting, which offers the convenience of having shows downloaded automatically to your computer or MP3 player, and the iPhone app with live and on-demand programs. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. Just think... As a new subscriber, over 1,000 shows will be available for you to collect, enjoy, and listen to at your leisure. Plus, you'll get streamed and on-demand broadcasts of Art Bell's Somewhere in Time shows and two weekly classics. And as a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Norrie and special guests. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. I argue with people about disclosure time and time again. I've told them governments are not going to come out willingly to tell us it's going to happen by a mistake, it's going to happen by a whistleblower, but it's not going to be an organized thing. Governments won't do that. And the reason why they won't do it is because they do not want us to know. They think that they'll lose control of us if we know. If you actually truly believe that we were being visited by extraterrestrials and you had categorical proof that it was happening, Do you think you would listen to some of the bull that government throws out all the time? Absolutely not. You'd look toward the heavens, you'd say there's got to be a better way, and you would start doing your own thing. And you would forget all about government control and everything else. So the bottom line is, government will never, ever discover. We're about to go to the lines here, open lines uh, in the first hour tonight, and then later on as well. These are a few things uh, that were actually have been actually found to be written on people's tombstones. In a New Mexico cemetery, here lies Johnny Yeast. Pardon me for not rising. Real. In a Silver City, Nevada cemetery, here in my state, the West, here lies, lays, here lays Butch. We planted him raw. He was quick on the trigger, but slow on the draw. A widow in Vermont wrote upon her husband's new stone, Sacred to the memory of my husband, John Barnes, who died January 3rd, 1803. His homely young widow, age 23, has many qualifications of a good wife and yearns to be comforted. And then finally, the simplest is always the best. Definitely found in a Georgia cemetery, simply, I told you I was sick. 
East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Is this our? Yes, yes, yes. Turn yes. turn your radio off. Please. I just did. That's good. I've been trying to get a hold of you for months. Okay, uh, have you ever done a show on the Bermuda Triangle? Oh, sure. Oh, sure? Lately? Not lately, no. Uh, not lately. As a matter of fact, now that you mention it, I haven't really heard of anything much happening in the Bermuda Triangle lately, have you? No, I haven't. But You know why I think that is? Why is that? Because I think it has moved. It's moved? Oh, I, this is Diane from Minneapolis, by the way. I'm a first-time caller. Okay. Okay. It's moved. Where did it move to? Um, I don't know, but I, I'm, I'm really serious when I say that. I think there are areas of the Earth that are anomalous, very anomalous, and uh -huh. that was one of them. But there's I've been, been on cruises to Bermuda and flown to Bermuda, and airlines and cruise ships will not sail through it or fly over it. Did you know that? Well, maybe that's why we're not hearing about it anymore. <laughs> you could, you could, I guess you could suggest it was either one, because the Bermuda Triangle moved or people finally decided to begin avoiding it altogether. Beats me. And I've got another question. Have you ever read the book, The Messengers? Oh, yes. Yes, have yes. you ever had? I, I interviewed the author of The Messengers. Oh, did you? Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. I sure did. Nick, some time ago, Nick Bonick. Um, west of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. This is John from Colorado Springs, Colorado. How you doing? Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm coming out. I'm coming out your way. Oh, I know you are. Did you get a paperback book from me uh, a couple months ago? Alternative Three. Oh yes. Okay. I just want to know if you got that. Yes, I got it. Thank you. Great, great. Uh, well, I'll try to get up to Denver and uh, see uh, and see you here in about two weeks. Uh, September 19th. September 19th. Yep. Okay, well, I'm glad you got the book, and uh, I'd like to see you do a show on that. All right, thank you. Um, it's pretty much conspiratorial central, alternative three, the various alternatives that have been published, conspiratorial stuff. I'm going to check at the half-hour mark, but I think Keith might have this third secret Fatima version up. Came from a 16-year-old boy, interestingly. Very interested in your opinion. It is very uh, graphic and specific. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Going once, going twice, gone. Wild card line, you're on the air. Good morning. Uh, hi, Art. Uh, thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. Where are you? This is Ralph uh, from Salem, Oregon. Okay. I heard a uh, comment on uh, Dr. Dina DeHaal's program, which is just before yours. Yes. Here in Salem, uh, concerning the use of uh, Viagra. Uh, what about it? Uh, this better not be a joke. No, no, no. no I don't allow no Viagra joke. jokes on it's here. It's a health concern, I think. Um, he relates the um, uh, results of some studies that show that uh, at least part of the, uh, the side effects uh, from Viagra, which can result in health and cardiac patients, Maybe from the fact that it acts as the facilitator. In other words, patients or individuals with heart disease that would normally be having sex are. Yeah, well, that's a, it's a no-brainer. Uh, that's a no-brainer. I mean, look, uh, anything that would um, cause you to do something that you wouldn't do normally, you know, you may be taking your chances. I mean, you're, you're taking your chance. Of course, you take your chances with everything, with a lot of things in life. When you cross the street, 
is my attitude about flying. I flew to Europe very shortly after uh, Flight 800 went down. I'm going to be flying to Africa um, next month. And I'm going to do that uh, not too far down line after Swiss Air 111. But you've got to get a kind of an attitude about it, which I have. And that is, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, you know. And uh, there's nothing you can do about that. And it could e as easily occur to you, walking across the street, tripping in the bathtub, uh, cracking your skull open. There are lots of ways to die and lots of ways to live if you follow me. And as long as you're alive, you might as well go ahead and live life and not worry about losing it all the time. Anyway, that's the secret of how I get through all the things I get through that I hear about on this program, so you might want to know. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998. Listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998. Glad to be here on a Friday night, Saturday morning as a holiday weekend begins for everybody. What are you going to do? Probably uh, have a barbecue or something. Isn't that what most people do on these three day holidays? Barbecues? Coast to Coast AM is happy to announce that our website is now optimized for mobile device users, specifically for the iPhone and Android platforms. Now you'll be able to connect to most of the offerings of the Coast website on your phone in a quick and streamlined fashion. And if you're a Coast Insider, you'll have our great subscriber features right on your phone, including the ability to listen to live programs and stream previous shows. No special app is necessary to enjoy our new mobile site. Simply visit coasttocoastam.com on your iPhone or Android browser. 
Streamlink. The audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price, just 15 cents a day when you sign up for one year. The package includes podcasting, which offers the convenience of having shows downloaded automatically to your computer or MP3 player, and the iPhone app with live and on-demand programs. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. Just think, as a new subscriber, over 1,000 shows will be available for you to collect, enjoy, and listen to at your leisure. Plus, you'll get streamed and on-demand broadcasts of Art Bell's Somewhere in Time shows and two weekly classics. And as a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Norrie and special guests. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. When you look at what's going on around this planet, it's almost as if someone has got a playbook to try to control all these countries all of a sudden. I've... You know, I wonder how people, uh, how so many of you in so many parts of the country live with the humidity that you live with. I know that may sound strange. I think we adapt. We do adapt as human beings to our environment, and I live in the desert. I'm used to, in the summer, single-digit humidity, sometimes 10 or 11% if it's a bad day. But for the last couple of days, we've had the remnants of some sort of storm or another that was generated off Mexico, and it's been just cloudy and raining, and raining and raining and raining. And it makes you feel awful. Even I notice my paper is all limp. Paper is limp. You know, it's heavy with humidity. It's hard for me to imagine uh, living in an area where there is humidity again. But I'm sure that when many of you would come out uh, and visit here in the desert, you would go, oh, my God, how does anybody live out here? My sinuses are all dried up. And that is the way you feel when you first come to the desert. Uh, but for me, it's the exact opposite. So to some degree, we absolutely do adapt, don't we? East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi. This is uh, Red in Ohio. Red in Ohio. Uh, that's right. not, not a political statement. That's your name. No. Right now. I have a Bermuda Triangle incident oh. that you might find interesting. Okay. How, how old is it? Uh, hang on a second. And let me get the book, just a second. Now, see, you're supposed to be prepared when you call. He's walking into a... Uh, don't trip over anything. He's obviously having to walk away somewhere. Okay, I got it. You're supposed to keep it next to the phone. Right, I'm sorry. It's all right. I uh, it with some Xerox copies of things. I see. All right, so what is the name of the book? The name of the book is The Antilles Incident. And how, when was it published? November 1997. 97. About an incident that occurred when? Uh, let me see. Have you read the book? Yes, I've read the book, and the incident occurred in 1988. Yeah, see, that's a while ago. Yeah. Ten years ago now. Well, according to the book, it involves a destroyer escort uh, 
which encountered a submarine UFO. It had a firefight with the UFO. Hey, wait a minute. A submarine UFO. Right. What do you mean a submarine UFO? Uh, according to the book, they had instructions to keep uh, land and sea and air in view in their patrol incident because apparently command knew there was a UFO in the area and they encountered it. There were... Well, nor normally submarine UFOs are referred to as the enemy. Well, I mean, they're, I they're enemy you... submarines. So I'm right. trying to grasp what you're saying here. Are you t talking about like the classical in the air alien UFO under, under only underwater? It was both underwater and in a, in the air. Okay, I actually have heard of an incident like this from a few callers. Believe it or not, it came up out of the water. Right in the Antilles area, mm -hmm. they uh, had a encounter with it that uh, caused the ship's engines to go offline. Yep, I've heard of this. And uh, I, I would actually like to read that book, and I'd love to uh, interview the author. And three of the crewmen were kidnapped. Yep. I know. Um, I, I've heard about this. Uh, who wrote the book? Uh, it's a man called Donald R. Todd. Donald R. Todd. T-O-D-D? Yes, sir. All right. Um, I'll see if I can find the book, thank you, and locate the author. It's always a job. You know, it's such a job trying to get phone numbers of uh, people that you want to have as guests. It really is a job. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Mr. Bell. Mr. Caller. This is Robert in San Joaquin Valley, California, sir. Yes, sir. How are you this evening? I'm just spiffy. Uh, I got a few things that are important, uh, but I wanted to ask you: When are you leaving for Africa? I think it's October third through the tenth, just a week. Oh, one week. Well, I always sort of hold my breath whenever you go, wanting you to get back safely. Yeah, it's it's well that you do that. No matter when I leave, there are, things happen. Believe me, I pray for you when you do go. And uh, there could be uh, an October surprise. Yeah, well. And if it's going to come, you know it's coming between the 3rd and the 10th. I wanted to say something about uh, our Bell After Dark yes. newsletter. Yes. Well, for everyone that listens to your show, if they don't subscribe to it, huh. I'm telling you, that's, to me it's like the National Geographic. You keep those there. Each one <laughs> is, is a keepsake. Well, it's an, it's a National Geographic of the unusual. It is. And, I mean, I wouldn't even loan one out to my best friend, fearful that I wouldn't get it back. <laughs> I mean, it really adds to the show, uh, and, be, and you're able to refer back to those issues. I mean, I highly recommend to people that have not subscribed that it really is important Stop to... Stop already. They're going to think you're a plant. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it is great, though. Thank you. But, okay, I, I wanted to mention... A few nights ago on one of the major networks on TV, they had such an unusual show about automobiles, vehicles turning against uh, the owners. Did you see that or hear about it? When cars attack. Yeah. No, I didn't see it, and I'm killing myself for that. I, I mean, there was one thing I really wanted to see, and I missed it. That is the, the producers. If you can get them on your show, because uh, I saw it really was eerie when we were looking at the uh, tape from a uh, security camera. At a Dillard's department store, we were looking out into the yard where all of the cars were parked, 
and there were four ah. automobiles. No one was in the automobile ah, simultaneously. Go. They moved to another place. Uh-huh. I mean, it was sure really Sure they did, Robert. Come on. <laughs> you got to see that. Oh, I'm doing it again, aren't I? Um, yeah, come on now. I, I, we, I, we got into a discussion based on this last night about what would be the most difficult car to kill, you know, just in case they did, like, come alive and come after us. Right. And uh, some guys gave <laughs> facts and said, well, if there is going to be a war, then your son should be a general because he sure did slay that metro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Robert, thank you. <laughs> Which I thought was rather cruel. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Um, okay, hi, this is Kevin from Minnesota. Hello, Kevin. Um, hey, I'm supposed to say hi from the people on Dalnet IRC. Okay, Dalnet uh, IRC. Uh, is that chat, yeah. Art Bell chat channel. Right. Yes, hi. So anyway, I was uh, looking at the website, and I'm looking at your message from Fatima, or whatever it is. Yes, sir. And it's really, really lame. It's, you, uh, you think so, huh? I, I do. I think that... I think that it's just as uh, about as lame and and I mean anyone can make up a prediction and oh no it's true it's true well, uh, it's absolutely true however um, I've had about oh I don't know two or three or four versions of it up now and you can't ignore the possibility that one of them is real well but you can't ignore the possibility that anything is real for all I know there could be magic leprechauns outside my radio station right now so anything could be real that's right that's right anything could be real we know only one thing for sure there right. was a third secret of Fatima so terrible that they wouldn't uh, the popes uh, would not allow it out and still have not okay right I I'm not I'm not saying that that it's not this the secret I think that that as a prediction, it's it's really well. I mean, it's for instance, for the people that are going to believe it are are already praying, and the people that don't aren't praying. Well, uh, that's I guess that's fair. Um, on, an, on yet another tombstone, I've got a tombstone thing here. Mm-hmm. And uh, where is it here? Uh, is it the atheist one? The all dressed up and no place yeah, to no, go. That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, yeah, I've heard that joke before. That's uh really funny but I mean it's really so, yeah, quite true it, it illustrates the point that those of us that, that uh, don't believe this stuff already aren't going to be convinced by it and those that do may or may not be convinced I think that so it's tell really me on it sounds like you're not praying then huh uh, no I'm an atheist actually the first oh you're an atheist I am the first program I listened to was oh, wait, was, oh excellent with the atheist uh, so you, you really truly believe in absolutely no God that's right you think that when we die, it's lights out as well, much as it was before you uh, were alive. You, you simply cease to exist. I don't necessarily think that it's lights out as much as that I don't think that there's proof for anything actually happening. I mean, it, it could be the whole Christian idea, but I, I don't know. Oh, you don't know. Right. Now, that's not quite the same as... Well, no, if well yes, it is, too. I mean, you, you, I, I guess you can say that, but I mean... There are so many people who believe that there is something after life that if you were... How old are you now? Uh, 17. Oh, so easy to be an atheist when you're 17. Oh, don't pull that. Oh, I'm, I'm pulling it. <laughs> I'm pulling it because um, you, you have this long life ahead. Now, you honestly don't think when you get older, there's a possibility that as you face your own mortality, 
you'll consider the possibility that there's more and you'll err on the side of caution at least? Well, but, but caution, I mean, which God do I then choose? Do I choose the Christian idea? Do I choose the Islam idea? Which one do I choose? Well, you could choose to believe that there is a creator without a specific name. Well, that's, that's definitely possible. I mean, to say that I absolutely won't believe that to me is just as insane as, as the insanity that I claim for Christians. To, to absolutely claim that there is no creator. I, I try to that is that. at least consistent. I will give you that. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. Well, goodbye. And I can see now why you're not praying and why you go <laughs> to the third secret. So we'll have to get some more opinion. I thought it was pretty good. came from a 16-year-old boy in Las Vegas. Las Vegas. I don't know how he got his hands on it. Maybe something, maybe nothing. Atheists. Really interesting. Here lies so-and-so, all dressed up and nowhere to go. An atheist. Tombstone. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hello? hello. Yes, hello. Yes. Turn your radio off. It's off. Thank you. Where are you? I'm in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Good. Okay. Is this a screen or am I on? God, I hate that. I don't have a call screener. That's correct. Okay, I'm listening to uh, WPHT 1210 AM here in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, yes. Okay. Um, Art, uh, a pleasure is all I could say. Thank you. I've got to tell you, um, the way I found out about your station was through a book. <laughs> uh, a book in, called in, uh, Alien Encounters. Really? Written by Chuck Millsler. Missler. Missler, correct, and Mark Eastman. And Mark Eastman, yes. I've had them both on the show once. Oh, I wish I had seen that uh, or heard that. i um, bit nervous here. They wrote about me in their book? Yes. In fact, there's a chapter, um, chapter 8, called The Quickening. You're and kidding. It, it's a reference to you, and then there is... Uh, it says, The Quickening uh, in 1995, Mark Bell, late-night radio talk show host, coined a term to describe the accelerating pace of events in the last few years. He called it The Quickening. <laughs> and it goes on, um, and I'm not going to read it all, but no, toward right. the end it says, Bell is careful not to interpret the signs that he sees. He well recognizes the wide variety of religious and scientific and philosophical options among his listeners and is a master at balancing the tight rope. Well, that was a well, that's well said, um, and that's exactly correct. I'm a talk show host. I'm not a prophet. I interview prophets. I'm not a seer. I interview seers. And all that um, genre of folk, uh, people who have had NDEs, you name it, I do it. Uh, from what I've uh, heard... Uh the last few months that I've been listening to you, yes, I, I do. But if you have an opportunity, Art, I suggest you you get the book, Alien Encounters. It's it's not uh, the title isn't really great. It's more into the quickening phenomena, and uh, I, I believe um, a lot of your callers and uh, a lot of the quickening phenomena. And I've been researching it for about two years, reading books, yay thick, on uh, Egyptians and, and the whole uh, antiquity of man. And for me, uh, I am a born-again Christian, and this book definitely brought it together for me. Um, these gentlemen, uh, 
Chuck uh, Millsler Meisler and Mark Eastman, uh, they have many tapes out that, uh, from scientific point of views, uh, back up everything they say. Oh, I know. And I, 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 well, thanks for the call. And it's interesting to know there's a chapter in there about the quickening. In 1995, I saw all of this as clearly as can be, and that's why I wrote that book. Uh, now, so much of what's in that book, we are dead smack in the middle of, and it didn't take very long, did it? A lot of what I wrote about 95 was not going on in 95, <laughs> but I said it was about to be, and it is now. And I repeat, I am not a prophet. All I did was look at what was going on around me because I had to every day to do my job as a talk show host, and I said, holy moly, uh, there really is something uh, going on here, for lack of a better phrase, the quickening is what I used, and it is an accurate phrase to describe what I think is going on. And that is, events are speeding up, events are spiraling up, ratcheting up very quickly. Human events are... Uh, becoming more frantic at a rather exponential rate, and we are headed toward an event. And by the way, that will be part of what we cover Sunday on Dreamland, this coming uh, Sunday on Dreamland. It's all about the Mayan calendar. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, the Mayan calendar ends in 2012 in 2012, and uh, I have an author who has says, he has figured out uh, what it all means, and Sunday it will unfold before you, and we talked a little bit about this uh, during that program, actually quite a bit, maybe that will give you a little hint of what's to come, so if you've never quite exactly understood the Mayan calendar, what it meant why it abruptly ends, and so forth and so on. You're not going to want to miss Dreamland on Sunday. All right, we're going to break here at the top of the hour, and if things work out, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. We're going to be speaking with Stanislav Luna, who wrote Through the Eyes of the Enemy. He is Russia's highest-ranking military defector. With the news about Russia today, it should be an interesting interview. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998.
Premier Radio Networks presents Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired September 4th, 1998. Good morning, everybody, across this great land and well beyond. Uh, tonight is going to be an interesting evening for a little while here. I have on the phone Russia's highest-ranking military defector ever. And he warns of threats to U.S. national security. He says Russia is preparing for inevitable war against America. Inevitable war, I said. Wrote a book that you can get, and we'll tell you how, I guess, through the eyes of the enemy. He is Stanislav Lunov. And I'll have to see if I'm pronouncing his... Uh, the name correctly. He is um, obviously Russian. He has an accent, and we're going to try to make it through this uh, because it's very important that we hear what he has to say. So I probably got some questions for him that he has not been asked before. We'll find out. But I'm really curious about a lot of things. I'm curious about what it takes to, um, uh, to mentally uh, prepare yourself for defection defection from, you know, one country to another, period. So he'll be up next. Stanislav Lunev. Fifty percent. Coast to Coast AM is happy to announce that our website is now optimized for mobile device users, specifically for the iPhone and Android platforms. Now you'll be able to connect to most of the offerings of the Coast website on your phone in a quick and streamlined fashion. All right, this really should be interesting. Uh, from, I think, the heart of what used to be the enemy, somewhere around Washington, D.C. or something, Stanislav. Uh, Stan, can we call you Stan? Uh, yes, of course, sir. Thank you. Uh, where are you actually, Stan? In America. Well, yeah, I know. I, I mean, where in America? Uh, East Coast. Uh, Washington, D.C.? Oh, uh, no. No. It's very far from my place. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um... Stan, when, uh, let's see, how long did you live in Russia altogether? In Russia? Yep. Mm, all my life. How old are you now? Uh, very old. <laughs> uh, 52. Thanks 52, a lot. I'm 52 and... Uh, I'm 53. Stan, I'm 53. So what do you mean very old? <laughs> 52. <laughs> After 50, usually it's very old. <laughs> uh, you, you, you know my favorite joke. Uh, if after 50 years old, uh, somebody wake up morning and doesn't have any pain, it means you are already dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Uh, so you lived uh, all your life in Russia. What part of Russia were you born in? Uh, in Leningrad. Leningrad. Uh, just just now it's St. Petersburg, but it's one of uh, paradoxes from Russian life uh, because uh, one of the largest Russian military districts located around St. Petersburg has absolutely the same name as before, Leningrad Military District. Yeah. Well, I was in uh, St. Petersburg uh, not long ago. Beautiful, beautiful city. Uh, and a little scary for me, too. 
uh, I thought. Why? Why? Um, well, I could explain all of that. Um, it was scary for me because I felt like I was being watched all the time. When uh, it happened? This was um, a couple of years ago, just a couple of years ago. Ah, a couple of years ago, yes. So it means that nothing changed. And uh, Russian security service is still following every foreigner the same way it's, it was done in former Soviet Union. Yeah, we had uh, we took a cruise to Russia, and I went to Moscow. Even I got to I got to eat uh, lunch in the Kremlin. And one of, one of the people that was on our cruise was a young blind man. You know, he couldn't see, and he had a video recorder with him, a, a camcorder, you know, a camera, and he was using it only to record sounds that he could take home with him. And unfortunately, he recorded some sounds near a factory. And there, uh, this was uh, in in Moscow, and people were showing ID, uh, some kind of ID, when they went into the factory, and uh, they arrested him. Uh, they arrested him, and uh, he almost missed the ship because they were questioning him and his mother, and uh, they were going to put them both in jail. Anyway, uh, so you know, yeah, things have changed, but things have also not changed. Isn't that true? Uh, actually, uh, it's very little which was changed, and uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, this example you provided with this uh, young man, uh, and I'm sorry about this one, but <laughs> actually this is uh, hospitality Russian style. Hospitality Russian style. Uh, so, early in your life, um, you were coming up just like I was, we're about the same age, during the Cold War. The long Cold War. You and I, um, I was on this side, you were over there. Both of us uh, living through the Cold War only. You were in the um, Soviet military, right? Yes. What rank were you? What did you do in the Soviet military? Uh, last military rank, uh, Colonel. Uh, A colonel? I, I don't know why, but in America, military people prefer to say full colonel. Why? I don't know. A full colonel? Yes, because uh, colonel is colonel, lieutenant colonel is lieutenant colonel. What uh, What was your uh, job as a full colonel in the uh, Soviet military? Uh, last uh, 20 years of my military service, I was inside uh, Soviet Strategic Military Intelligence Agency. Um, this is GRU, or Main Intelligence Directorate of Russian uh, Federation General Staff. Uh, this is spy agency, uh, which is spying everywhere in the world. And uh, according to my job, uh, I had a chance to work in Singapore, in China, in Moscow. Really? And uh, Yes, and last four years of my military service, I was assigned to Washington, D.C. Washington, uh, D.C.? Uh, field office. Uh, and uh, worked in this country and against this country. What was your... Um, when you were in this country, you say you were assigned to this country, uh, what, what was your... You must have had some kind of cover uh, for the work you were doing. Yes, of course. I had civilian cover. 
What was as it? As a task news agency. Oh, as, as a task news agency correspondent. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, tell me, um, did they train you in journalism at all <laughs> for the job? Yes, yes I had special training in about one year. Uh, it was in the end of 70s because before I wasn't uh, linked with journalism and corresponding job, absolutely nothing. And uh, uh, So I need to have special training, and I used several months in Moscow uh, when I had this uh, some kind of experience in writing uh, articles and stories for newspapers, magazines. Mm. Uh, because before my life, uh, I wasn't connected absolutely with this writing process. I was regular military officer, uh, group platoon company commander, and uh, was recruited to the GRU after my graduation from uh, military law school in military political academy in Moscow. There is uh, there are rumors here in America that uh, at some place, some place in Russia. They have built a typical American town, a place where people train. Is that true? Uh, I don't know exactly because I heard I heard about this once. Yes, rumors exactly. You too. Uh, <laughs> yes, that uh, KGB they had uh, this special training center uh, equipped and built uh, like American small city uh, with uh, people who need to speak English only, American English. Yes. Uh, but I never been inside the city, and I uh, had the same information as you, so I heard about it. Um, was that your first time in America? Yes, uh, because before I was trained for the intelligence against China, and uh, actually, I worked against China in China, in Singapore, and uh, inside former Soviet Union. Well, the organization that you work for, so people might understand, in America, would it be like the FBI, the CIA, the NSA? What would it be like in America? Uh, you can compare former KGB intelligence with American CIA. CIA. Yes, but my former agency, you can compare... Uh, for combination between different American agencies. Uh, first of all, combination of uh, DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, yes. National Security Agency, Special Operation Forces Command with headquarters in Tampa, uh, National Reconnaissance Office, which is in charge of American spy intelligence, uh, space uh, intelligence, and U.S. Army, Air Force, Navy, and Marine Corps intelligence agencies together. Oh because in JRU, all these institutions are only subdirectorates. Oh, my. Uh, all right. So the mission of these agencies, uh, this uh, many agencies that were combined into one that you worked for, was to gather intelligence uh, about, um, about what? About foreign countries' intentions, capabilities, armaments... What kind of information did you gather? Uh, all types of, of information which could be used by commanders in planning uh, of future war and uh, actually in uh, real war against any other country in the world, uh, plus uh, not only information gathering but active measures. 
by Special Operation Forces Commanders. Um, why are you still alive? I don't know. Good question. Uh, you are you are the highest-ranking military defector from an intelligence uh, organization ever from uh, the Soviet Union. Ever, ever, ever. When did you defect? What year? In 1992, after mm -hmm. about four years of staying in Washington D.C. Uh, is that has that been was that during the Cold War a great danger uh, for? Uh, the Soviet Union, that uh, people like yourself sent to America uh, begin to turn native. <laughs> Was that a big danger? Did that happen to many others who uh, were able to come to the West? Uh, yes. Yes, it, it, it was really a danger because uh, my information uh, really... Uh, was valued and uh, dangerous for uh, former Soviet Union or for Russian Federation. What were you actually supposed to be doing here? You were um, said to be a journalist uh, for TASS, but what were you really supposed to be doing? Now? Nope. Then? Ah, then. Then I was a uh, spy, <laughs> a military spy who worked against America, undercover intelligence agency correspondent, and uh, my main, more primary mission in this country it was uh, penetration through American national security uh, system. First of all, uh, trying to find American plans and uh, intentions connected with military use uh, against uh, former Soviet Union and last. Uh, period of my life in Washington, D.C., uh, Russian Federation. But how, how, would you, how would you do that? I mean, you are obviously a Russian, um, ostensibly uh, a, a reporter, and so how would you get close to any important U.S. defense information? Can you say how? It's very typical spy business, uh, because first of all, I need to find people uh, who was possible for recruitment and uh, uh, develop relations with this person to the stage when uh, this person began to assist me in my spy business. It means uh, recruitment of people. And what, do you, what, what did you look for? Did you look for people who were in financial trouble? people who were in some way dissatisfied with their jobs, or what, what constituted a good prospect for recruitment? Um, actually, you already uh, answered <laughs> your question, uh, because, uh, of course, we look for people who uh, is not satisfied by his living conditions, by his life, by his bosses, or somebody else who needs extra money, uh, and uh, in his mind, uh, he was or is not strongly opposed to uh, possibility to sell his secrets uh, for money, which he needs. And uh, let's say that in Washington, D.C., it's not so difficult uh, mission, because in that area, uh, actually every other is uh, working for American government and has very interesting information for foreign intelligence. Mm. 
So you did this uh, not only in America, but worldwide for 20 years. Yes, before I made the same job in uh, Singapore and China and uh, in Moscow, uh, because when I was assigned uh, to uh, the JRU headquarters in Moscow, we did the same absolutely job against foreigners uh, who visited or living in former Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you defect? Uh, it's a very long story, Art. Very long story, but if very briefly I can tell you that uh, I could not provide any more my very special services for absolutely unresponsible people, uh, corrupted from top to bottom. Corrupted. Uh, corrupted people and uh, with direct links with uh, organized crime groups in uh, Russia. Oh, that's a that's a very good answer, actually. Um, were you a member, uh, I'm sure you were, of the Communist Party, right? Yes. Um, now that Russia is supposedly, um, has many reforms, and is, <laughs> is much freer, well, that's what they supposedly. said. Supposedly. <laughs> I know. Um, it's even worse than it was when you defected. Um, and now... Uh, the mafia in Russia seems to control almost everything. So as bad as it was when you defected, now I think it is even worse. Do you agree? I agree, Art, and uh, you're right, uh, because I, in my memory, I return back uh, from time to time to the mid of 80s, uh, beginning of 90s, and I remember all our hopes for the future changes uh, in Russia about possibility of democracy, about uh, some kind of reforms which could uh, change uh, Russian economy and change way of life right. for Russian people. But unfortunately, nothing happened, and uh, just now the situation is uh, becoming more and more difficult uh, for Russian people and uh, actually much, uh, much more dangerous uh, for the international community, danger which is coming from Russian Federation government activity. Stan, if you went back to Russia today, what would happen? I can make suicide here. What for? I will return back. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure what for is a good answer, but I mean, if you did go back now, do you think... I, 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 I already said I can make suicide here. Uh, you, oh, you can commit suicide here. Yes. That's your answer, huh? So it would be suicidal to go back. Yes. Uh, do you have a family? Yes, I have family with me here. Did you bring them with you, or did you start your family after you defected? Um, I made this step, I mean defection, uh, together with my family members. Together with your family? Yes, and I try to do it as professional without any noise and uh, uh, attention from somebody else from outside. Oh, but I remember there was noise uh, all over the American press when you defected. I remember that. Uh, that was big news for a while. Um, all right, uh, Stanislav, uh, stand by, and we're at the bottom of the hour now. 
Stanislav Lunev is my guest. We're going to call him Stan. He is indeed Russia's highest-ranking military defector in all the history of defections. He was a spy for Russia, for the Soviet Union. And in a moment, uh, we'll dig deeper. I'm Art Bell, and this is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998. Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998. I have on the line Stanislav Lunev, who is Russia's highest-ranking military defector in all of history. He is still alive today, and he doesn't know why. To return suicidal. His mission while he was here to recruit U.S. spies, people who would sell or for whatever consideration, give away our secrets. So, he was the real McCoy. In a moment, he'll be right back. Or visit our website at termbusters.net. Remember, 1-800-862-8376. Rates and availability may vary by state. Sample rate quotes based on preferred non-tobacco underwriting. Exam required to qualify. You're listening to... All right, here once again is Stan. Stan, welcome back. Uh, Stan, even though uh, Russia was in the grips uh, then and now of uh, of the mafia, and uh, there was much, there was a whole lot of corruption, the Russian people are a very proud people, very proud. And what what was your thinking like when you defected? It must have been very hard for you. Yes, it was very hard decision for me, and uh, actually, uh, I changed my life totally, uh, and. Uh, yes, of course, uh, it was not only hard, it was very difficult, and uh, uh, psychologically, psychologically, yes. mentally, with all this stuff, and uh, I made my decision by this point uh, with very big difficulties, but uh, I could not afford for myself to provide my very special services for criminals and people connected with criminals. Uh, so you're at a very, very difficult time of my life. Um, so when you defected, your family was here with you, is that correct? Yes, because 
1992, after the USSR disintegration, uh, counterintelligence uh, didn't uh, control everything uh, for former Soviet military personnel abroad, and I had a chance uh, to have all my family members together with me. And uh, after my decision for this uh, defection, my family actually followed me. If your family had been in Russia when you defected, I would not defect. You would not have. De you would not have defected. Yes, if uh, I wouldn't have my family with me. Um, when you did defect, I'm sure that you spent quite some time with our CIA. Is that true? Uh, more exactly. Uh, I spent uh, a lot of time uh, together with uh, representatives, uh, practically uh, from all American uh, special services. How long uh, a period of time did that take? More than one year. More than one year? Yes. So you had a chance to compare our um, intelligence services as they debriefed you to Russian intelligence services. Is there a big difference? I don't think that uh, it was a very good experience in... Uh, a compare of uh, Russian and American special services in time of my debriefing because uh, in a defector position you can <laughs> you 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 cannot uh, collect real information about your adversary uh, former adversary but uh, my previous service my previous intelligence uh, business uh, it. It was very good evidence and uh, how American intelligence is working worldwide. Um, so uh, I can compare Russian and American intelligence uh, communities from my uh, whole uh, practice and experience as an intelligence officer. Yes, and you, you think they are very much the same? Not, not the same, not the same because... It's a different uh, attitude, a different culture, and uh, different organizations. Um, so American intelligence was kinder, uh, easier, do you think, um, in, in their debriefings of you, um, a more friendly, uh, what? Uh, <laughs> Art, uh, in time of debriefing, you cannot uh, um, propose something uh, really about uh, people who is debriefing you because they are professionals and they cannot afford to show you their feelings or something else. Yes. So usually they are neutral. But from my previous experience, when I worked operationally against this country, uh, I had a much better chance to understand what does it mean American intelligence and counterintelligence agencies. Mm -hmm. So only by this reason I am disputing with you uh, from time of my experience before defection and after defection. So before defection it was much more realistic uh, 
uh, assessment about American intelligence. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, did you have many, many secrets uh, that you were able to give our intelligence, or did the work, uh, your work in Russia, in, in the Soviet Union, was it compartmentalized so you did not know too much, or did you have a broad knowledge? Um, actually, I had enough uh, secrets, uh, <laughs> enough secrets. Uh, I had many secrets, uh, and uh, um, not uh, only because uh, in former Soviet Union, when I stay in Moscow, I had a very high position in uh, my former organization, uh, but because of a uh, very special job uh, which I did before uh, in my previous uh, experience and expertise. In this country, uh, we have two main political parties, the Democrats and the Republicans. The Republicans um, generally have been very wary of uh, Russia uh, when it was the Soviet Union and Russia today. Uh, the Democrats, uh, less so. Now, do you have in this country Republican sponsors, um, people, uh, conservative Americans who sponsor your talking? Never. Never, huh? Never, but uh, in this country you have more than uh, two uh, parties. That's true. Uh, you remember last uh, presidential election, it was one more very interesting uh, party. <laughs> uh, and um, um, I don't know how to say it in a uh, few seconds, <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, uh, actually, uh, when uh, Soviet Union uh, officials negotiated with uh, Americans for a long, long period of time, uh, usually it was much more easy to negotiate with the Democratic Party in the United States, I'm sure. Uh, but all breakthrough in relations between America and uh, uh, former Soviet Union usually came from Republicans. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Yes. yes. Um, many people would compare the personalities of Ross Perot and Boris Yeltsin. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I, can, I, cannot, I cannot make this compare because... Uh, Ross Perot is a very responsible person and uh, very intelligent. And uh, uh, how to compare him with Boris Yeltsin, I don't know. Well, not politically. Uh, both of them are kind of wild men in their own way. Uh, just kind of unusual men with unusual personalities. Oh, Art, I'm sorry, but uh, to be wild men... Uh, you could be wild man, but you need to be smart, or you are uh, stupid like Yeltsin. Stupid like Yeltsin? Yes. Uh, so you're not a Boris Yeltsin fan, huh? No, I cannot be fan of this person, because I met with him several times, I spoke with him several times, and let's say that uh, uh, last my meeting with him, it was one of last drops. Uh, for my decision uh, to defect. Really? Really? 
really because it happened in 1992 uh, when he was with his uh, working visit uh, to the United States and by the way I was only one uh, correspondent uh, in Washington DC Soviet and foreign correspondents only one who had the chance to take interview from him after his conversations with uh, then-time President Bush. Huh. And what was it about Boris Yeltsin when you met him and when you talked to him that uh, obviously left such a bad taste in your mouth? It's very difficult for me to talk about him because uh, uh, I found him absolutely unresponsible uh, person who actually thought about him himself and his big family members, not about country, not about people, and the person who uh, can sacrifice his uh, direct uh, responsibilities by his uh, drinking uh, of alcohol. It's, uh, it's not good. The situation in Russia now is not good. Again, there seems to be a crisis uh, with with Yeltsin and um, and the Duma in the parliament. And I wonder what you think will happen. Uh, how will this be resolved? Will there be a compromise? Do you think some kind of compromise, or do you think there will be uh, more tanks uh, firing on the parliament building? <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, if uh, more tanks in Moscow, it means repeatment of history, and uh, uh, you know what's going on in Russia because this country is uh, actually is non-stop uh, economical, uh, industrial, political, social. Just now in very deep financial and constitutional crisis, and. Uh, to predict what could be happened in Russia in the nearest time is uh, very difficult. But usually, usually, president and parliament uh, they uh, can find uh, compromise and uh, finally approve a new cabinet of ministers for Russian Federation. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you keep in mind very strong position of main. Uh, Yeltsin opponents in uh, Russian parliament, uh, communists, because they are just now the most uh, powerful organized uh, group inside Russian law house. Uh, and uh, they very strongly oppose uh, Yeltsin candidacy uh, for prime minister, his old buddy, Mr. Chernomerdin. Uh, yes, Mr. Well, the, the vote, um, the first vote was something like 294 to 51 or... Yes, yes. That 294, would that mostly be communists? Uh, communists, uh, they have uh, about 150 votes. About 150. Uh, so they uh, vote against uh, Chernomerdin together. Uh, with uh, other blocks, include the third uh, powerful organization in <laughs> Russian parliament, this is Zhirinovsky party. Uh, you know Zhirinovsky? Yes. Uh, uh, Zhirinovsky is ultra-nationalist ultra and uh, guy who requested Alaska return back to Russia and advised the Russian military to wash their boots in Indian Ocean. 
but this guy is very popular, and uh, his organization, uh, his fraction in parliament, they vote against uh, uh, Yeltsin candidacy, Mr. Chernomirdin, together with communists, and with, by the way, with Democrats, uh, so-called Yablaka or Apple uh, political movement uh, lead by Mr. Yevlinsky. Uh, so it was a coalition, coalition of opposition, uh, who decided vote against uh, Chernomirdin. A coalition. A coalition, yes, but later, let's say, day before yesterday, Zelensky changed his position and said that next time he will not oppose uh, candidacy of, Ms., uh, of uh, Chernomirdin. If the Duma were to submit names for the cabinet, do you expect to see uh, Jernowski's name? I don't think so, but uh, it's uh, possible if... That could, uh, be, that could be the deal, huh? It, yes, it, it could be a deal, but not Zelensky. I think somebody from his people. What about Alexander Levitt? Uh, just now he is one of the most prominent politician leaders in uh, Russian Federation. He... Former, former airborne general, yes. and he is extremely popular uh, for uh, people who are between uh, communists and uh, um, Democrats. Hmm. Um, all right. So he has been saying, uh, Alexander Levitt has been saying that he believes Boris Yeltsin is pushing Russia into civil war. Levitt talking too much, and uh, sometimes he doesn't follow his own words. He said only a few days before. Uh, but uh, these words that the uh, Yeltsin government pushing Russia uh, to the civil war, yes, uh, it's correct, because uh, all what is going on just now in Russian Federation clearly demonstrating uh, that in this country any other day it could be social explosion of people who uh, cannot afford uh, to be in the same very, very bad position and situation as uh, they just now. And uh, if this social explosion would be in place, it would be in the country with tens of thousands of nuclear weapons and uh, uh, hundreds of metric tons of chemical and uh, biological weapons. Yes, we see pictures now of uh, Russian civilians trying to get into their banks. I'm sure you've seen the pictures. And um, there is no money. The ruble now is about 17 to 1 against the dollar. Russia economically is completely melting down. And when that happens, usually you have governments that change or you have civil wars. Usually, but not in Russian connection. Uh, because uh, you are absolutely right that uh, Russia's economy just now melting, melting down. Uh, but it's not melting <laughs> to down. And um, um, keep in mind that uh, Russian people uh, during about seven decades lived under a totalitarian regime of communist uh, party. And in this time when it was total repression against uh, the whole population of the country, 
Actually, the best brain uh, went uh, out from Russian society. We were washed out from Russian society. And uh, Russian people, um, just now, they have so much patience to everything. And uh, looking only for their survival, uh, that uh, they are not active politically or socially. And uh, it's very difficult to wake up Russian people. But if, uh, if finally it's happened and Russian people will wake up, it would be very difficult to find a way how to return these people to the normal life. Uh, and um, what just now is going uh, in Russia, of course, it would be some kind of revolution for all other countries. Uh, but uh, it's not enough for Russian people uh, so they to, have, to wake up and destroy all this regime. They have had uh, hard times for so long that this is just more hard times for them. Is that, yes. is that right? Yes, you're right, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, do you believe that uh, the Russian military and the Russian leadership still plans to wage war against the United States? Come on. Uh, okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, because it's well-known uh, for me, well-known for specialists. Of course, it's uh, not known for American public. Why, I don't know. Uh, but uh, let's say that uh, recently, uh, couple, only a couple months ago, uh, Russian uh, Strategic Air Force Command uh, had very, very big uh, field exercises. And in time of this maneuvering during several weeks, uh, Russian military command train uh, military personnel for the future war against the United States of America. All right. Uh, la la last week it was Navy exercises in Northern Fleet, and they trained Russian military personnel for the war against America and American friends and allies, first of all, by NATO organization. Stan, hold it right there. We'll be back to you after the break. And that's, of course, the point we'll pick up on. Stay right there. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998.
You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998. Stanislav Lunev is Russia's highest-ranking military defector in history. And he is also my guest right now. He uh, defected to the U.S. ostensibly here spying as a task news agency correspondent. Uh, Met doesn't like Yeltsin, believes that Russia is planning a war against the U.S., still planning a war against us. I asked him about that. He said, are you kidding? And, of course, I'm not kidding. We're going to uh, probe into this area in just a moment. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. When you look at what's going on around this planet, it's almost as if someone has got a playbook to try to control all these countries all of a sudden. I've always said that not everything is a conspiracy, but a lot of it is. You know, when you start looking into things, there's only a certain set of conclusions you can reach, and unfortunately, this is one of them. You know, it's very, very hard not to see. Once again, uh, here is Stan. Stan, welcome back to the program. Here. Uh, you still awake okay? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, you know, I, I want to, before we get back into this war thing, I want to ask you one very important question. Earlier in the interview, I asked you why you defected. And you said because you could no longer do the job that you were doing, spying, for the corrupt people that you were working for. Now, maybe this would be hard for you to answer, but if there was not corruption, if there was pure communism, um, maybe there is no such thing, but if there was some, if it was pretty much a pure communism, would you still be there? also think impossible to have pure capitalism. <laughs> uh, but, 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 uh, in this country, uh, you do have much more socialism than uh, we did have in the uh, former Soviet Union. Oh, really? Yes, and uh, you know that uh, your uh, government from time to time is uh, really concerned about its own people and trying to assist people who are in very bad shape uh, financially, economically, you know, your welfare programs and uh, social security benefits. Uh, so 
uh, in this country, you have much more socialism than we did have it in the former Soviet Union. <laughs> yes, uh, um, I understand exactly what you're saying. Do you, you, you know, of course, what uh, MAD is, Mutual Assured Destruction. You, you said that uh, Russia still plans a war against the United States. Um, what has always kept us from war is the fact that we would all kill each other mostly and poison the planet and commit suicide because of so many nuclear weapons. Now, if Russia still believes that it will have a war with the United States, how does it believe it will survive such a war? Uh, Art, uh, it's uh, very difficult to say that uh, Russia itself, uh, but uh, uh, let's say Russian people, Russian people, ordinary Russians, uh, they don't care about this future war. Uh, they just now, they're thinking how they can survive in this very terrible situation in uh, this country now. Oh, yes. And uh, actually, in general, Russian people, they do not have uh, some kind of hostile feeling against America or against Americans. Uh, we do have so many common together in history and culture, the same human values. That's right. And uh, if you will return back for several years, uh, before, you will find that uh, we had uh, approximately the same uh, social situation, yes. not political, but uh, America. America is our planet in miniature, and uh, in this country we do have uh, dozens of different nations, nationalities, uh, color of skin, races, uh, and all these people are living and working together, sometimes with big problems, with small problems, but uh, what uh, uh, family uh, uh, can exist without problem? I don't know this family. All right, uh, I, I do understand about the Russian people, yeah, but yeah. we are talking about the Russian government, or we are yes. talking about what communists are left in the Russian government. If they plan a war, how do they plan? But yes, you are right. But Russian government, uh, they don't care about country people. They care about themselves only, and about much more money in their pocket. How it's possible? And uh, for future survival in uh, possible and uh, future war between Russia and uh, other world, uh, they prepare themselves. Uh, uh, to exist for many, many years after uh, uh, this terrible thing that could be happened with our planet. Uh, let's say that uh, under Moscow there is uh, one more city, underground city. It's special bunkers for leaders of uh, Russian Federation and their families. And uh, in Siberia, Ural Mountains, uh, under construction there is... Uh, very big, big underground city by the size of uh, Washington, D.C. Beltway. Uh, can you imagine this underground city? It's huge. It's, and it would be bunker uh, where Russian elite uh, can uh, survive if our planet would be destroyed for a long, long period of time. Um, 
in America, we have pretty much a free press. In other words, anybody can report almost anything. I'm a great example of that. I talk about all kinds of uh, wild things here. So, um, why is this information not widely known, do you think, in America? I don't know. I don't know because for me it's really surprise that American people know so little about hostile countries, military plans uh, for the future war against America. Well, in, in, for in, me it's surprise why America uh, does have free press and free press doesn't pay any attention for this real danger for the national security. Not of this only this country, but for the international community. Okay, but in in security work, um, Stan, uh, you look at a country's number one capabilities, what they can do, and number two, what are their intentions? What do they want to do? Uh, Russia, of course, has the capabilities, as you said, many thousands of nuclear weapons, but. Oh, how can we believe their intentions by looking at these underground cities that are preparing for war? Uh, what else can we look at? I remember that uh, this uh, news uh, that the uh, Russian government uh, has this huge construction in uh, Ural Mountains. It was some kind of uh, several news about this once and uh, special hearing in Capitol Hill. But why American public doesn't know about this one? I don't know. The American uh, public thinks the intentions of Russia are good. Uh, I don't think so, because um, if you will follow events uh, in Russian Federation, uh, you will find that uh, intentions of Russian government are not very good. Let's take every, every... Um, crisis, uh, would, uh, which happened uh, uh, in uh, the international community during the uh, last several years, and you will find that Russian government position usually is uh, very different from uh, American position. Yes. Uh, you will find that uh, in time when the whole world is worried about non-proliferation of mass destruction weapons, uh, you will find that in any violation of non-proliferation regime, uh, Russian government is involved. And uh, you will find that uh, actually all promises made by Russian Federation government and uh, president uh, by himself, uh, all these uh, promises and obligations uh, uh, were violated by the same government in case of uh, nuclear uh, technology transfer to Iran, Iraq, to missile technology, the same Iran, North Korea, and other countries. Uh, so in real life, uh, promises, yes, they are promises, but they are not fulfilled. All right, Stan, so I want how to believe it. Yes, I want to ask you this. I have business dealings with some Russians. Now, I don't want you to be insulted by what I'm going to ask you. But I have business dealings with some Russians who have factories in Russia. And that's, that's all I want to say, but I have dealings with them. And what I have found is that Russian business people, as a normal 
part of what I believe their culture is, lie. Now, they lie about small things. Uh, you would ask them, did you make a shipment? And they would say yes, automatically, lie. And uh, is that part of Russian culture? No. No. Strong no. Strong no. Strong no, because uh, it's not in nature of Russian to lie. But uh, it's uh, nature of so-called new Russians. New Russians? New Russians, which uh, appeared in time of uh, the USSR destruction and creation of so-called uh, democratic Russia. People which are <laughs> people who follow example of their president and lie every other time when it's possible. <laughs> Um, so that is who I am dealing with, is the new Russians. I'm sure that is true. Um, are these the people in Russia now that we think of as uh, the, the capitalists, the ones who are uh, making money, the few that are making money? No, just now there are tens of thousands of people who are existing on so-called business. Uh, who try to make money from everything uh, where it's possible and uh, usually cheating each other. Uh, but uh, this is the beginning of capitalism and uh, in time when uh, by in time when Russians themselves name their capitalism, <laughs> you know how do they name it? <laughs> uh, capitalism Jurassic Park style. Jurassic Park style. Jurassic Park style, yes. Uh, they, of course, uh, trying to make business by cheating people, lying somewhere and everywhere and to everybody. Uh, but uh, uh, what can you expect from country which uh, under control of uh, more than strange uh, government, under control of uh, absolutely unresponsible people? Well... That we hear rumors uh, in the United States of 100 Russian suitcase-size nuclear weapons. Uh, that 100 of those are someplace. Uh, and, of course, um, uh, with all the money trouble in Russia, we worry that other nuclear weapons have left Russia and are going to the hands of terrorists around the world. Do you believe that is happening? Uh, not now, uh, because this uh, tactical nuclear uh, devices, uh, named by nuclear briefcases, uh, they were designed in former Soviet Union by special for special operation forces commanders, and uh, could be used by these commanders on the hostile territories uh, in time of future nuclear war against targets which are highly protected and uh, cannot be destroyed by regular nuclear uh, missile strike. Uh, but uh, they are in hands of special operation forces commanders, not terrorists, and could be used only by the request of uh, Russian Federation government. Uh, to believe that uh, international terrorists will get an access to these devices uh, I, I don't believe it, and uh, according to my information, these devices are in hands of military, not terrorists. And uh, for international terrorists to get the sexes, it would be extremely difficult or 
impossible. You think the same thing is true of um, a, a chemical weapons and biological weapons? Yes, because these uh, types of weapons uh, could be used special operation forces commanders uh, in time of war and uh, absolutely the same way as conventional weapon systems. Um, here in the United States, during uh, Ronald Reagan's administration, we had a very big military buildup. Uh, the Soviet Union began to fall apart about when President Reagan was talking about Star Wars, about the Star Wars program. That's about the time that uh, the Soviet Union uh, began to fall apart and break apart. Uh, do you believe that the threat of an arms race uh, into space is uh, what made the Soviets finally say, we can't afford this anymore, uh, so we've got to go underground? Uh, you mean... Uh from uh, movement of uh, arms race from space to underground. Well, I mean that President Reagan was talking about spending so much money uh, putting up um, the Star Wars uh, that many people in America believe that the Soviets looked at what he was doing and said, look, we just cannot afford to keep up anymore, so we give up. Uh, I remember that time, and I remember this Star Wars program uh, and uh, all other American military programs. Uh, it was competition between two different systems, between two different camps, and uh, actually as a result of Reagan uh, administration strategy, uh, not only by as a result of his strategy, but his strategy segregated process of the USSR disintegration. It was very, very... Uh, powerful strategy which worked very hard against the uh, former Soviet Union. Uh, and of course, at that time I remember that uh, uh, Soviet economy was overheated by these military preparations, by military build-up, and uh, actually it was the uh, beginning of uh, the end of uh, communist totalitarian regime in former Soviet Union. Hmm. Has, is it? If, you, if you ask me about uh, President Reagan, I'm one of big fans of him, and I'm really excited of him. Yes, me it too. It was not only me, but a lot of my uh, former associates and uh, my friends, we thought about uh, Ronald Reagan as a genius. Had a lot of respect. American president. A lot of respect for Ronald Reagan. Yes. Uh, do you think the present Russian government has a lot of respect for President Clinton? I don't have any idea. Hmm. I don't have any idea, but uh, Americans, uh, you are doing by yourself uh, very many uh, for the destruction of uh, American presidency. Uh, doing for ourselves, you mean, the destruction? It's, yeah, it's true. You, you guys are doing for yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good observation. All right, Stan, hold on. When we get back, I'm going to ask about some specific development of weapons, like seismic weapons, weapons designed to cause earthquakes, electromagnetic weapons. Did the Russians develop those? Are they testing them? Are they still developing those? 
And, uh, oh yes, the war. When will the war happen? You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998. presents Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired September 4th, 1998. Good morning. If you can call it good listening to this, uh, Stanislav Lunov is my guest. He is Russia's highest-ranking military defector in all the years of the Cold War. He's the highest-ranking defector. And in a moment, we're going to talk about the central issue, that of nuclear war, direct nuclear confrontation between the two great powers. Stay right where you are. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. When you look at what's going on around this planet, it's almost as if someone has got a playbook to try to control all these countries all of a sudden. I've always said that not everything is a conspiracy, but a lot of it is. You know, when you start looking into things, there's only a certain set of conclusions you can reach, and unfortunately, this is one of them. You know, it's very, very hard not to see things like that when you start looking at things in a larger picture. Now we take you back to the night of September 4th, 1998. On Art Bell, somewhere in time. Back now to Stan. Stan, you believe that a war between uh, uh, what used to be the Soviet Union, Russia, I guess now, and the United States is inevitable and will happen that Russia will attack the United States. Is that clear? Is that true? 
uh, not now, and uh, actually I cannot see possibilities when it could be happened in future if nothing uh, would be changed. But you know what situation is in Russia now. Yes. And uh, every other day, if it uh, happens some kind of social explosion, possibility of war would be closer. All right. Uh, if you were advising an American president, Stan, and you saw the situation in Russia deteriorating very quickly uh, with the wrong people taking over, would you advise our president to attack Russia first? Uh, I cannot uh, advise the American president to attack Russia first uh, by the reason that I do not have in my hands information which is necessary for the decision-making process. During the time that you were in Russian intelligence, uh, would you have advised an American president to attack Russia first? Did you believe then that there was going to be a war, only a matter of time? Uh, to believe that it's uh, impossible to avoid any kind of war, but very smart uh, politics... Uh, uh, I don't think so, because uh, in history it's happened many, many times when smart policy prevented war. Uh, so I cannot take responsibility for myself and advise somebody to do something if I do not have all information mm -hmm. which is possible to have for my decision-making process. Um, it, it says, though, in your book, Through the Eyes of the Enemy... Russian military intelligence does everything it can to prepare for a war that it considers inevitable. Let me be very clear about this. The GRU, Russian military intelligence, is still recruiting agents, still preparing for war with the United States as we approach the supposedly peaceful post-war, uh, Cold War millennium. Now, that's very clear, and it seems to suggest there will be a war. Did you write that? And uh, everything what is going on in uh, uh, Russian intelligence community now is confirming this proposal. Um, because uh, because military machine, it's can, it's not independent machine. It's working for the by the request of uh, highest uh, military political leadership from requests from president, and uh, if. Uh, this government uh, cannot afford to exist in peacetime without crisis. It's uh, look for foreign enemies to put attention of people from domestic problems to foreign enemies' activity. Wag the Kremlin. Yes. <laughs> um, also, you said the GRU continues to train terrorists worldwide. As you can see, even though Russia no longer seems to be the direct enemy, uh, because of a desire for profit, it remains the major threat to the U.S. through weapons, proliferation, and training. True? Uh, true, and uh, uh, actually, my former associates by my former agency uh, were involved in uh, international terrorist training for a long, long period of time. But we never named these guys as terrorists because we named them uh, fighters for national liberation movement. Of course. Of and freedom fighters. Of course. And uh, for, uh, for me and uh, for my uh, 
former associates, uh, it, it wasn't a very good idea to take part in training of these uh, dangerous persons because we knew exactly what is uh, the um, real nature. And uh, uh, I was really pleased when in 1990 uh, I heard about special request made by uh, former Soviet, first and last uh, Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, who requested my agency to stop training of international terrorists, and uh, we very welcomed his decision. But unfortunately, in 1991, 92, 93, and later, I get news that uh, this training is still in place. Uh, but if in time of former Soviet Union existence this uh, training was uh, done by political reason to establish Soviet influence in areas of this uh, terrorist activity, uh, just now is going for money because uh, everything money. is for sale for in Russia. Yes, for money because last news I heard about this once it was about Aum Sinrikyo cult members, uh, this uh, Japanese cult. Uh, uh, which uh, used nerves gas uh, in Tokyo subway yes. several years ago. And uh, these uh, members of this cult, they received training in one of the JRU training centers oh. in Siberia and paid for this training. Oh, my. That was the sarin gas attack in Tokyo. Yes. Um, we have heard rumors of Russia developing laser... Seismic weapons, uh, weapons that would uh, uh, be developed to actually cause earthquakes, which are even better than many atomic weapons, electromagnetic and radio weapons. Uh, development of these weapons, is it still, is it true, first, uh, particularly about the seismic weapons? Is that true? <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> people know so little about this uh, hostile country's policies, military research development. Uh, but for me, it, uh, it was a well-known fact, and uh, by the way, maybe uh, you would be first uh, who will know the official name of program uh, which existed in former Soviet Union for the development of uh, seismic or tectonic weapons. Uh, name of this program was Mercury 18th. Mercury, let me be sure I've got it right. Mer Mercury 18th, 1-8. Mercury 18th. Yes. Mercury. And this, this was, um, what was the idea? Do you know uh, how they could, uh, was it a strategic placing of nuclear devices to cause... No, 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 no. Because seismic weapons is absolutely different type of weapons. Okay. And using uh, seismic energy... Uh, natural energy which is existing in real life permanently uh, and direct this energy to concrete places in concrete time to organize uh, earthquake, natural earthquake no nuclear connections yes uh, okay. first researches which were done in this direction they were connected with uh, nuclear tests and uh, Soviet scientists found connection between nuclear tests and uh, earthquakes, but later development uh, was absolutely not connected with nuclear explosions and uh, 
concentrated of natural use of seismic energy. Wow. Mercury 18. Um, and so this was a different way to create earthquakes, uh, using some... Using special machines uh, to concentrate seismic energy on concrete places and organize natural earthquake in these places. Do you know if this was actually done? Yes, it was done, and uh, let's say in the mid of 80s, as a result of uh, tests of these weapons, uh, not very big city, Spitak was uh, destroyed in uh, Kokazi, Trans-Kokazi region, uh, several villages were destroyed, and uh, I heard that the uh, last test was done in uh, February of this year. February of this year? In Chechnya, when... Uh, um, uh, oh some people try to uh, organize earthquake in Chechen capital uh, city of Grozny, uh, but I don't think that this test uh, was uh, successful uh, because uh, instead of really big earthquake, it was a very small earthquake, about two or three degrees by Richter scale. Okay, I would like to take a couple of calls, and I need to think about what you just said to me. Um, on my first-time caller line, uh, you're on the air with uh, Stan and Art. Where are you, please? Hello? Hello. Hi. My name is Milos. I'm calling from New York City. Yes, sir. Uh, it's a great show, and uh, I have a question for Stanislav. Um, we know that America and Russia are really in a good shape right now, but Mr. Luna never mentioned anything about China. Uh, China is their uh, closest neighbor, hostile neighbor, and you know he never mentioned anything about China. I mean, what would be reason for Russia to attack USA? Uh, it is it is an interesting uh, interesting point, and he did some intelligence work uh, in or near China. So we will ask him: uh, Are you Russian yourself? No, I'm from, um, well, 15 years ago I used to be Yugoslavia. Right now I don't know what it is. <laughs> right now nobody knows. Yep. Uh, okay, um, Stan, um, China, it's a good point. Uh, China is a lar not a large nuclear power, but a substantial nuclear power. And if there were a war between the United States and Russia, if Russia attacked the U.S., what do you think China would do? Uh, you know that uh, now uh, there are no some kind of ideological disputes between uh, Russian Federation and uh, China, uh, which had place in time of Soviet Union existence. Uh, and actually, just now there are no any kind of uh, very special uh, problems in the relations between two countries, uh, because all these problems were resolved uh, during last. Uh, ten years include border problems yes. and relations between two countries just now are very good and uh, by my point of view and not only my but uh, some specialists uh, relations between Russia and China are so good uh, that uh, it's possible to expect that in nearest time uh, it would be some kind of military alliance between uh, Russian Federation, uh, so-called democratic Russia, and totalitarian China, uh, military ally directed against the uh, United States and uh, 
Americans, friends, and allies uh, everywhere. Uh, so to propose that uh, it would be some kind of uh, real war between uh, Russia and China, no, I don't think so. They are very close together. They do have already have uh, secret agreement for intelligence cooperation against United States and other Western countries. They do have integrating military machines, uh, military-industrial complexes, and uh, if it could be happened and uh, military ally would be alliance would be in place, uh, I think that uh, China and uh, Russia will stay together against American imperialism. Here in America, America, American imperialism. Uh, here in America, um, many people think we have two governments, that we have one secret government and one very public government. Um, do you believe that in Russia there are really two governments, one that we see with Boris Yeltsin sometimes, and another government behind the scenes that is still holding all the power? Uh, no, I don't think so, because this government, which you can see, uh, President Yeltsin and around him, is real government, corrupted, connected with criminals, but it's real government. But it's a, a real government. A real corrupted government. Yes. And um, Yeltsin, by the way, a couple of years ago, he need to recognize openly that uh, just now Russia is a criminal state. And, uh, of course, he didn't mention about himself, but everybody includes himself in this criminal system. Okay. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Stan and Art. Hi. 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 Yes, sir. I'm calling from uh, Carmichael, California. Yes, sir. Uh, I just wanted to say Russia has something to offer the world, and that's holy orthodoxy. And that, that mother God uh, is watching over uh, the orthodox people. All right. Well, actually, um, okay. Uh, there is now a revival of religion in Russia. Yes. Uh, is it a strong revival, and is it some reason for hope that um, we will not uh, uh, it will not come to a war between our two nations? Um, actually, your second proposal is most correct. Uh, because it's not so much revival of religion, but it's hope of people to find some kind of way for future. Yes. Because in their current life, uh, they suffering too much, and there is no any kind of ideology, uh, nationwide ideology in Russia, and people return back to religion, uh, trying to find a way how to express themselves and found themselves in our world and uh, orthodoxy. Yes, of course, Russian Orthodox religion is uh, still very extremely popular uh, between Russians, but uh, not only this religion, there are a lot of Catholics, yes. a lot of uh, Jewish people, uh, a lot of uh, uh, Islam people, uh, Buddhists, uh, so... Uh, I think I think many Americans would be surprised how many churches are in Russia. They are every place. Uh, 
look at America and uh, approximately the same situation is in Russia. Yes, it's true. Um, what should America watch for? What, as we look at Russia and we watch the changes in Russia, what would be most dangerous? Very good question, Art, but uh, uh, what America need uh, to do in this situation? Let's say America need to know what is going on in foreign countries, let's say in Russia, in former Soviet Union, and to recognize the uh, uh, difference between uh, promises and uh, real situation yes. uh, and uh, try to understand how to push some non-responsible people to fulfill their promises made officially and get a lot of money for this under these promises, billions of dollars and of course uh, to prepare itself uh, for the protection against possible danger and uh, possible attacks from hostile and uh, non-friendly countries to improve American national security system and uh, to concentrate its system against for the protection against most important dangers uh, for this country. Stan, uh, we're at the top of the hour. If you would like to stay on, uh, we can do one more hour. Many people would like to talk to you. That's up to you. Okay. You want one more? Okay. Okay, good. Uh, stay right there. All right, well, I shouldn't have to say anything. The uh, Russia's top-ranking military defector is my guest, Stanislav Lunov. His book, we'll tell you about his book when we get back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998. to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to the highest-ranking military intelligence defector ever from the Soviet Union, Stanislav Lunov. 
And he'll be right back. We're going to lay heavily into the phones this hour if you have a question. I've got a couple of more, and then we're just going to dive directly into the phones, so don't move. Coast to Coast AM is happy to announce that our website is now optimized for mobile device users, specifically for the iPhone and Android platforms. Now you'll be able to connect to most of the offerings of the Coast website on your phone in a quick and streamlined fashion. And if you're a Coast Insider, you'll have our great subscriber features right on your phone, including the ability to listen to live programs and stream previous shows. No special app is necessary to enjoy our new mobile site. Simply visit coasttocoastam.com on your iPhone or Android browser. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. I argue with people about disclosure time and time again. I've told them governments are not going to come out willingly to tell us it's going to happen by a mistake, it's going to happen by a whistleblower, but it's not going to be an organized thing. Governments won't do that. And the reason why they won't do it is because they do not want us to know. They think that they'll lose control of us if we know. If you actually truly believe that we were being visited by extraterrestrials and you had categorical proof that it was happening, Do you think you would listen to some of the bull that government throws out all the time? Absolutely not. You'd look toward the heavens, you'd say there's got to be a better way, and you would start doing your own thing. And you would forget all about government control and everything else. So the bottom line is government will never, ever disclose the true facts of UFOs. Streamlink, the audio subscription service of Coast to Coast AM, has a new name, Coast Insider. You'll still get all the same great features for the same low price, just 15 cents a day when you sign up for one year. The package includes podcasting, which offers the convenience of having shows downloaded automatically to your computer or MP3 player, and the iPhone app with live and on-demand programs. You'll also get our amazing download library of three full years of shows. Just think... As a new subscriber, over 1,000 shows will be available for you to collect, enjoy, and listen to at your leisure. Plus, you'll get streamed and on-demand broadcasts of Art Bell's Somewhere in Time shows and two weekly classics. And as a member, you'll have access to our monthly live chat sessions with George Norrie and special guests. If you're a fan of Coast, you won't want to be without Coast Insider. Visit coasttocoastam.com to sign up today. Looking for the truth? You'll find it on Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. When you look at what's going on around this planet, it's almost as if someone has got a playbook to try to control all these countries all of a sudden. I've always said that not everything is a conspiracy, but a lot of it is. You know, when you start looking into things, there's only a certain set of conclusions you can reach, and unfortunately, this is one of them. You know, it's very, very hard not to see things like that when you start looking at things in a larger picture. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998. Uh, Stan, uh, welcome back again. Uh, Russia has always been, for good reason, I believe, a very paranoid uh, government. Very paranoid. And Russia now sees 
NATO expanding all around them. How do you think they are reacting to this in Moscow? Very negative. <laughs> of course, they do not uh, want this expansion because uh, NATO and uh, Western uh, civilization, Western democracies, uh, becoming more and more closer to uh, Russia itself. That's right. And they don't like it at all. And they try to explain to Russian people that American imperialism didn't change its nature and uh, until now <coughs> uh, Israel threat, uh, internal uh, foreign threat uh, for Russia and uh, for Russian people and America trying to destroy Russia the same way as uh, America destroyed uh, former Soviet Union. Uh, of course, uh, this is uh, propaganda and rhetoric. Uh, some, somebody believe it, somebody not. I don't think that uh, majority of Russians believe in these ideas because uh, Russian uh, people is not stupid. But, but, but the old Russian hardline communists, they surely believe it. Uh, you know, this uh, hardline communists, uh, uh, they never believed <laughs> really in ideas which were pronounced by themselves uh, as uh, some kind of uh, absolutely truth. And uh, when they are talking about this NATO extension uh, to the east and uh, southeast, um, they using this as much more for propaganda than uh, for real estimation of possible danger to Russia, because uh, you know that uh, uh, Russian uh, government uh, uh, closed its eyes uh, on the missile transfer, missile technology transfer to Iran, and if Iran will develop its own missile uh, weapons. Uh, the first target uh, for this missile uh, would be southern Russia, and it would be a real threat to Russia, not mystical threat from NATO extension. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to ask you again, what should we watch for? What would be very dangerous in Russia if we saw a civil war, uh, would that be a, a very dangerous time for us here if we saw the communists begin to take over uh, and a coup d'etat with uh, Yeltsin out and uh, Zhirinovsky in or something like that? What would we watch for? Let's say that uh, just now it's necessary to watch what's going on in Russia very attentively because uh, you know that uh, Russian President Boris Yeltsin, uh, he is not good health. Uh, actually, he is sick, tired, and ill. And uh, plus, he is uh, well-known, very bad habit. Uh, actually, he is drunk. Uh, and uh, every other day, something uh, could be happened with him. But if it uh, will happen with him now... Uh, it would be constitutional crisis in Russia. Uh, and uh, keep in mind that according to Russian constitution, uh, he could be succeeded by his prime minister only. But in current time, when uh, he fired 
former prime minister, young person, uh, Sergei Kiryenko, two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, he tried to uh, receive um, uh, this parliament agreement uh, for his old body, Mr. Chernomyrdin, but uh, parliament rejected the candidacy of Chernomyrdin. And uh, just now there is no uh, constitutional successor for president. And if something happened with Yeltsin, uh, nobody will replace him. And uh, in time, without power, it's very good time for very strange people come to power. Yes. And that would be a very dangerous moment for the West. It would be extremely dangerous moment. Um, again, I'm going to ask you this question. I know it's a very hard question, but... If, if, if we began to see that happening over there, uh, and it seemed like war was inevitable, eventually, wouldn't America uh, be smart to, uh, to um, use nuclear weapons first? Uh, for me, once more, it's very difficult to answer this question because I need to have uh, information for the decision-making process. But, uh, Art, please, uh, trust me uh, that in this, in, in this country <coughs> you have enough smart people uh, who plan American activity for any possible development worldwide. And in your Department of Defense, I think uh, uh, there are very good plans how to react for any possible changes in Russian Federation, include possibility of coup, revolt, social arrest, unrest, and uh, all other possible developments. So, if Boris Yeltsin were to die today, there is no constitutional succession uh, in place, uh, and it would be power would be up for grabs. Is that right? <laughs> yes, but uh, keep in mind one more point, that according to the Russian constitution, if something happened now with Yeltsin, uh, his constitutional successor would be his former prime minister, which was fired two weeks ago. So he, he the guy, guy who was fired by Yeltsin and destroyed politically and... Uh, Actually, according to the Russian constitution, he needs to be acting president. But uh, nobody from uh, Russian government uh, doesn't want to recognize this fact. And, uh, of course, uh, if you uh, return back to two weeks ago, <clears throat> it was CBS uh, news uh, from Moscow uh, that uh, Yeltsin uh, signed his letter for resignation. Uh, and, of course, when uh, somebody from Yeltsin office uh, found uh, Article 117.5 in uh, his own constitution, he explained it to Yeltsin that if something happened with him, he would be replaced by person uh, which was fired by Yeltsin. <laughs> of course, after this, Yeltsin immediately stepped back and said, no, no, no intentions, uh, and I didn't sign nothing. Do you believe he did? Uh, <laughs> yes, in this case, it's everything looks like it almost happened. <laughs> hmm. All right, uh, back to these phone lines. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Stan and Art. Hello. 
Good evening, Art and Stan. Hi, you're going to have to yell at us, sir. Yes, this is Wayne calling from the Great Northwest uh, KEX Radio. Yes, sir. Wanting to uh, ask uh, Stan what knowledge he might have, uh, if he has any inside knowledge of uh, UFOs that perhaps the Russians have uh, captured, and if there's been any trading of these type of items between Russia and the United States. All right, good question. Uh, Stan, in this, in this country... I know, I know. We, we have many, many reports of objects that fly very quickly, very strangely, uh, and people believe the government does not tell the truth about these things. Yes, and I, I remember Russian newspapers' publications during the uh, last several weeks, uh, and in all these publications, uh, Russian specialists or people who pretend to be specialists, they are talking about that American military established contact with unknown flying objects, with uh, aliens, <laughs> came to our Earth from another system, <laughs> space system, and keeping them in a very secret camp in uh, Nevada or somewhere else. No, it is Nevada. It is Nevada. <laughs> and uh, maybe maybe this is even better than Star Wars, huh? Yes. So, <laughs> <laughs> so absolutely the same situation in Russia and same interest and attitude to unknown flying objects. Uh, actually, in, in Russia, there is a very, very big interest in the paranormal, isn't there? Yes, because uh, Russian people who are actually sick and tired from their normal life, they are looking for something else, uh, for something interesting uh, to keep this interest like support for their life. Um, all right, uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Stan and Art. Good morning. Yes, I think... Uh, before we uh, uh, talk about learning more about the Soviet Union, I think we ought to learn more about how uh, the American government, uh, both the open and the secret government and the corporate media, which interlocks with the military-industrial complex, uh, subjects us to this kind of disinformation and propaganda. Uh, there's a book, uh, one is called Unreliable Sources, another is Manufacturing of Consent by uh, Noam Chomsky, and he says, we're probably in Cold War uh, issues the most brainwashed people in the world because in other countries they sort of know they're getting the official line but yes. here it comes yes. down as the Art Bell program or as a uh, 60 Minutes yes. and we don't see this propaganda and there uh, I think what is going on here is is a classic case of what is uh, brought out in this book Unreliable Sources how so-called defectors have been used by the Central Intelligence Agency to scaremonger to create this kind of uh, uh, phony threats, uh, uh, whether it's uh, in Central America or the Soviet Union, to justify massive military budgets. Uh, uh, former CIA agents like David McCabe... All right, McCabe, I'll tell you what, sir. Uh, I think we... Hold it, hold it, hold it. We, 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 hold it, hold it. Stop, stop. Pause. Take a deep breath. We've got the thrust of your question. What you're saying to Stan is that you believe he is spreading propaganda and disinformation to create a threat to feed the military-industrial complex, ensuring it continues to get its money to build weapon systems. Isn't that right? He's been, uh, I'm, I'm saying that he's not the, the first. This has been going on for the last 15 yeah, years. I got that. I got that. But you're saying he is one of those. Well, uh, there's going to be a, a, a there's going to be an automatic axiomatic uh, denial. So I'm, I'm, I, I expect. Well, that's allow going to be him. The case. Allow him to make it. You make the accusation. Let him make the denial. All right. I like to respond. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, Stan. Art, if I understand right, it's not question, it's statement. Well, yeah, it's accusation. He, it's he says... statement or accusation, and 
Uh, I can tell to this uh, to this uh, gentleman uh, that uh, uh, let's say that if I uh, will would be connected uh, with American special services and worked for their interests, I would be really proud of it. But uh, just now, I am providing you my own information and not connected with any kind of political games. Well, you know, even on Mission Impossible, even the popular public realizes if you're discouraging, you know, we will deny everything. But, I, but more than that, you know, you talk about NATO. Uh, I think most people in this country don't know that NATO was formed uh, nearly seven years before the Warsaw Pact was formed. It was a, uh, uh, the Warsaw Pact was a defensive uh, response to that. The, every, uh, a major build-up by the uh, by the United uh, by the was uh, a weapon system was developed by the United States from the hydrogen bomb to uh, intercontinental uh, missiles, uh, intercontinental bombers. We're far ahead of the uh, Soviet Union. The only country that has demanded uh, the uh, uh, first strike policy has been the United States. The Soviets uh, refused a first strike and uh, uh, tried to get the United States to accept that. All of this attempt to uh, project what has been uh, a policy, as you even let slip out, they should be paranoid because uh, uh, the United States, along with 14 other countries, uh, invaded the Soviet Union after the Bolshevik re Revolution. And after the Second World War, Lucius Clay and uh, elements in the Joint Chiefs uh, had a, uh, exactly this policy of a, of a first strike against the Soviet Union, this, this genocidal policy that you so cavalierly uh, uh, throw out there, uh, uh, you know, uh, Art, uh, it seems to me that uh, there's never been a bombing that you've uh, uh, opposed except to say that uh, enough, uh, uh, enough millions of people have been killed uh, or we didn't use nuclear weapons. All right, to, uh, all, right, all, right, all, right. Of all right, slow up for a second. Um, Stan, he's saying that the United States is a very warlike nation, that we, um, we resort to military force. Uh, all the time to um, uh, as we did uh, as, as we did just recently uh, in the attack on the terrorist camp and that factory uh, that uh, or we as we did in um, Iraq that we really are the military aggressors not Russia and that what we're getting from you is propaganda to prop up our military industrial complex um, first of all, I need... Uh, by the way, what's the name of this gentleman? I don't know. It doesn't matter. He doesn't have a name. Why? He's, he's Why? gone. He's gone now. No, 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 no. If I'm talking to somebody, I need to say... Okay, Mr. X. We'll call him Mr. X. Okay, Mr. X. Uh, <laughs> I need to know that just now... I'm not specialist in uh, America. I'm specialist in Russia. Uh, and uh, just now, American military is... Uh, uh, was downside so much that uh, it's not compared with American military which existed six or seven years ago. Yes, but that's why Mr. X thinks you're here talking on the air now uh, so that we can build it back up again. Did I tell somebody that you need to increase your military machine? No, actually you didn't. Uh, actually, uh, you, uh, actually uh, you didn't. That's right. Uh, Stan, we're, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we've got to pause here. Hold on, we'll be right back. The um, highest-ranking U.S. asset, <laughs> once the highest-ranking U.S. Uh, USSR defector, is now ours. He's here. We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998. 
listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from September 4th, 1998. We are privileged to have with us Stanislav Luna, who is the highest-ranking military defector ever from the Soviet Union. He's still alive. That says something. I wonder what. Anyway, we'll get back to him in a moment. Stay right where you are. Coast to Coast AM is happy to announce that our website is now optimized for mobile device users, specifically for the iPhone and Android platforms. Now you'll be able to connect to most of the offerings of the Coast website on your phone in a quick and streamlined fashion. And if you're a Coast Insider, you'll have our great subscriber features right on your phone, including the ability to listen to live programs and stream previous shows. No special app is necessary to enjoy our new mobile site. Simply visit coasttocoastam.com on your iPhone or Android browser. Now we take you back to the night of September 4th, 1998, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Back now to Stan. Stan, here's a really good question for you. Uh, do you think that the KGB is uh, still in control or is in control of the Mafia in Russia, where the Mafia is in control of the KGB? Uh, Art, uh, first of all, I need to return back to the previous question, uh, not question, but statement of Mr. X. Yes. Uh, because a lot of people asking me how Soviet propaganda uh, explain what does it mean American imperialism. Uh, uh, Soviet propaganda explain America exactly like this gentleman told us in his statement, and uh, I can, if it's possible, I would like to give him a very small piece of advice. If he will chance uh, to find my book, uh, please read this book, and you will find a lot of answers for your questions when uh, you will ask me next time about this one. You will already have all possible information by this reason. Uh, about uh, this question, uh, connection between KGB and Mafia, uh, I need to repeat myself uh, what I already said in the book, uh, that uh, Russian Mafia is absolutely different from other types of Mafia, uh, from Sicilian, Colombian and other, uh, because it includes uh, top-level Communist Party officials, just now former, Communist Party officials, yes. highest level government bureaucrats, law enforcement agencies, leaders, and uh, top level uh, generals, military, many, many star generals, and uh, direct criminals inside uh, these organizations. Uh, so uh, there is uh, some kind of direct link between organized crime in Russia and uh, Russian law enforcement agencies include former KGB. Uh, you know that uh, KGB was uh, uh, split for different agencies yes. in 1991. Uh, After this, they were united in one agency. After this, one small split for several agencies. Just now, there are five uh, former KGB successors. And actually, Mafia has uh, 
uh, their own people in every of these uh, state institutions, uh, main KGB successors of our times. So it is a great mixture, is what you're saying. Yes, and uh, it's all mixed uh, let, let's say that uh, former KGB four-star generals uh, are so closely connected with mafia uh, that uh, sometimes it's very difficult to uh, find difference between mafia and KGB and uh, let's say former KGB generals uh, just now very legitimate businessmen uh, using their international connections and their people uh, recruited by KGB intelligence officers in uh, different countries uh, organized some kind of drug trafficking uh, from Golden Triangle in mm -hmm. Southeast Asia uh, to Northern America uh, through former Soviet Central Asia Republics, Eastern Europe, and Latin American countries. Uh, so everything is connected and uh, with a very small difference <laughs> between them. Um, we have all uh, seen many movies and many um, examples of Sicilian and Italian mafia. It is my understanding the Russian mafia is far more brutal. Is that true? And uh, its estimation of people who are inside Sicilian and Colombian mafia, because they consider themselves some, some kind of kids before Russian mobsters. All right, here we go. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Stan and Art. Hello, Art. This is Hesher from Belfair, Washington. Yes, sir. Um, I wanted to touch for a moment on um, the weather manipulation and the harp dealie. Um, I had, um, I guess it was when I was surfing one night uh, off of a link off of your site, and I had previously read this, the Underground Bases and Tunnels book by Richard Sauter. Yes. And it kind of sparked some ideas with me, and I had heard something about America in the late 1970s that they had shipped a 40-ton electromagnet over to Russia that they were installing in a facility that was possibly linked with HARP, and it was able to produce uh, an electromagnetic field that was like 300,000 times more powerful than the gravity field on Earth. Yes, well, your question is a very good one with regard to electromagnetic weapons, and uh, the Russians were and are now working on electromagnetic weapons. Are they not, Stan? Um, uh, you are right, because uh, this weapons is some kind of weapons of future, and uh, Soviet scientists and after them Russian scientists, they spend a lot of time and resources uh, trying to find a way how to use electromagnetic weapons against human beings in uh, possible uh, war. Um, and not only this, because uh, you already said, mentioned about uh, laser weapons, and you know what happened uh, about one year ago when American pilots were blind by Russia. uh, Russian so-called scientific ship. Yes. Uh, which snaked around American nuclear submarines in Pacific. And uh, you know this is about seismic weapons and uh, very low-frequency radio waves weapons, electromagnetic weapons, so it's uh, very many <laughs> new types of weapons. 
Now, Russia is having a very hard time financially. They can barely keep their space station in orbit. Do they manage to come up with black budget money to continue these projects today? And this is one of the paradoxes uh, of current Russian life. Because in time of uh, very deep uh, multi-site uh, crisis, uh, Russian government uh, find money uh, for development of Russian military industrial complex. And in time when uh, this government doesn't pay any serious attention over conventional forces in Russia, they still keep in very close control over strategic uh, weapons uh, development. And uh, uh, actually, Russian military industrial complex just now is leading in the world in uh, new researches and uh, developments of new types uh, of weapons and traditional mass destruction weapons. But uh, this is paradox as everything is in Russia. Well, it was, it was always my understanding, Stan, that uh, Russian strategic nuclear weapons, Russian submarines, um, all were under very tight central control in Moscow and that they really still are today under very tight central control. What is so worrisome is that the central control is not very stable. <laughs> Good point, yes. Uh, but in time when this control is not so stable by itself or inside itself, uh, they are keeping very strong control over strategic armed forces because they know that this is all, only one uh, that Russian government can use for the money extortion from the West. Um, our president, of course, was just um, in Moscow and meeting with Boris Yeltsin. And it seems like they reached some kind of arms agreement, which I'm sure you believe the Russian government uh, will uh, make promises about but never follow through on. I see that meeting as completely useless. Do you? Uh, for me, this uh, summit was strange uh, from the beginning. Yes. Because I understand that uh, American administration uh, tried to use uh, this uh, summit uh, for um, uh, especially, especially to have some kind of, uh, of agreement uh, of Russian non-participation in uh, proliferation of mass destruction weapons, in Russian participation in uh, uh, liquidating of international conflicts, and uh, for fighting against uh, international terrorism or something else. Uh, so it looks like America try to use once more direct meeting with Russian President Boris Yeltsin asking Russia to uh, carry not so dangerous policy which is uh, carried now by Russian government. But from the beginning for me it was very strange that uh, this meeting would be with person who is absolutely unresponsible given a lot of promises, but never fulfilled his promises. So it was fruitless from the beginning. 
And the result of this summit, I never saw the same uh, summit which didn't have any practical results. Um, may I ask you this? During the time before you defected to this country, were you for a period of time a double agent? What does it mean? It means working for the Soviet Union, and the United States? No. Never? No. Wild Card Line, you're on the air with Art and Stan. Hello. Hi, Art and hi, Stan. Joe from Boston. Hi, Joe. Hi, and Art, I just want to say before I ask my question, I met a, a guest of yours, and he said say hi to you. Uh, I don't know whether you had him on a long time ago. Who would that be? Oh, Showman, Jack Showman, American Computer Product. Oh, yes, of course. He said say hi. Okay, Stan, I have a couple questions for you. I'm a little surprised at you. First of all, I can't see, and we have the missile problem here. Uh, the Russians, Jeff Nyquist was on Art Show, and he believes, and I do too, that the military in Russia is armed to the hilt. Our military is cut back, so does Mr. Scullion. Uh, he's explained theoretically how a war could happen, and this Y2K problem could be the start of the Russians' war, because I know Khrushchev says we're going to bury you. We have Russian soldiers we have cut our military in half, so I'd like you to address these problems because uh, if this wife what is what is your specific question? My question is: uh, Are the Russian missiles armed and pointed at America? And when Y2K happens, is there a good chance that the Russians will start a war? That's a perfect. All right, all right. The uh, Y2K thing is a computer problem. There are many, many people who are worried about and the accidental uh, beginning of a war, and it is it is worth worrying about. Uh, do you know about this Y2K big computer problem? Yes, of course. <laughs> well, the Russian... But, but, but just ask me about uh, Russian missiles. Are they directed against the United States? That's no. right. Officially, they are not directed. Uh, during the last, uh, I think, six years. Uh, but uh, this is for general public. Uh, but for military professionals, it's well known that... Uh, uh, if computer of missile warhead uh, had target sometimes when it doesn't matter when uh, it go inside this computer to reprogram this computer and uh, to restore the same targets it's uh, necessary to spend uh, only one part of second hmm. uh, so they could not be directed now uh, or oh, maybe when we spoke, they could be redirected to different targets many, many times. Would it be fair? So would it be fair to say that the Cold War is still going on? Uh, official Cold War, in this uh, real sense of this word, uh, finished a uh, long time ago, and uh, not uh, because of uh, Russian Federation government, but because of uh, last and uh, first Soviet president, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev. Uh, but, uh, unofficially, uh, this war is still in place. Yeah, and so. it's going on by much more dangerous ways and underground in shadow, because all parts which are participating in this war uh, using their intelligence uh, machines, counterintelligence apparatus, and the uh, Russian side using its organized crime connections, uh, trying to restore its power and 
to find way for future dominance in the world. Ms. Dan, I was in the American Air Force, and when the Cold War was, I was in there when during the Vietnam War, during the Cold War, would you say that when we were in the military, it was safer then than it is now, or is it more dangerous now? I think that just now is much more dangerous, because you remember these times when you was in the Air Force, it was a uh, confrontation yes. of two military blocks, two powers. Yes. And every side knew exactly that if one side will make a step, another side will make immediately counter step. And both sides cannot afford to broke this balance of powers. But just now, when in uh, Kremlin there are very unresponsible people, uh, it's possible to expect that every other day in Russian Federation has happened something really dangerous. And if it's happened, somebody unknown will come to power and we will have real danger. So, what then, tell me, Stan, what would you tell the American people? What would you like to tell the American people in your book now on the radio? What would you like to tell the American people? Um, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, first of all, I would like uh, to ask American people, do not believe uh, very old Soviet propaganda. Unfortunately, I understand uh, uh, that until now this propaganda is still effective and influenced uh, over some uh, people in America. And uh, for this country, I think it's necessary to know uh, what danger is before this country and uh, what is the most dangerous trend which could affect American way of life. And of course, to try to do something to protect America, because if something happens with America, it will happen with fortress of uh, democracy in the world, and uh, Americans need to pay attention for their national security. I don't call you guys to spend uh, much more money, to recruit much more soldiers, or to increase the uh, build-up of your military machine. No. I'd like to ask you guys to improve your national security. In this country, you have very powerful intelligence and counterintelligence community. And these people, they are real professionals. They actually, they sacrifice their life trying to protect America from all possible threats. But uh, they do not have enough people, money and possibilities to protect everything in this country. All right, Stan, uh, it has been a wonderful interview. Uh, thank you for staying up so late. I know you're on the East Coast. It's almost 5 o'clock. So, my friend, uh, thank you. Thank you very much, Ed. Good night. Good night, and looking forward to see you once more. You bet. Okay, that's it. We're done for this week. Listen, all of you have a good holiday weekend. And don't forget Sunday, it's all about the Mayan calendar. For now, from the high desert, where it's kind of damp, <laughs> night all. Yeah.